words and in our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. I imagine that many of you will have seen in uh, last week's news, um, 10 days or so ago, the uh, coverage of Kim Jong-un shaking the hand of the South Korean president and then stepping across the low stone border to become the first North Korean leader to set foot in South Korea for uh, an amazing 65 years. In doing so, um, Kim crossed a line that makes um, huge different, that marks huge differences between the two countries and regimes. A line that uh, separates artificially what historically has been one Korean people. Who knows where this initiative will end? And of course, we pray for peace and for uh, a coming together uh, of those two halves of that peninsula. But um, at least so far, it is a symbol of hope to the divided people of Korea and to all those who pray for peace in that part of the world. Our first reading this morning from midway through the book of Acts also marks the crossing of a line. The story of which it forms a central part um, comes significantly directly after the conversion of St. Paul. St. Paul, who uh, was the ultra-religious Jew, who from that point on was the bearer of the gospel to the non-Jewish nations of the earth, the Gentile peoples. With Saul, uh, as he was previously, becoming, uh, being confronted by the presence of Jesus submitting to his authority and dedicating his life to bringing others to Christ. The stage is set, if you like, for the part that Peter plays in today's reading. Peter's been summoned to the house of a centurion in the Roman legions uh, by the name of Cornelius, um, after Cornelius um, has had an angel appear to him. We read that Cornelius and his family were devout and God-fearing. But nowhere does it say that they were in some way particularly exceptional in their faith. Just before his journey to where Cornelius lives, uh, and in uh, in response to uh, Cornelius' request to come to him, Peter himself has had a vision. And in it, God has revealed to him that although the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ had up to this time been solely to the Jewish nation, the good news is not to be kept for that one people, but it's to be shared throughout all the nations of the world. Another line is to be crossed. The gospel is good news for the whole of humanity. Peter, uh, here in our reading, is explaining this revelation to Cornelius, to his family, and to the whole of his household. And as he does does so, um, whilst he's still speaking, as we read in the text, 
the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Not just the Jews who heard this message, not those who were especially holy amongst Cornelius's family, his friends and the slaves gathered there. But the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. I sometimes feel there are times in our Christian life, in our church life, collectively, um, when, where there's a risk, uh, when there's a risk we start to believe that God's gift of the Holy Spirit perhaps is um, re- reserved for um, some sort of select few. For those um, perhaps whose biblical knowledge is more encyclopedic than the rest of us. Perhaps those who, uh, who know the ins and the outs of Church of England formalities. Maybe those who sit on the front pew. More often, perhaps, those who appear to be super holy. But the good news for each one of us from this passage from Acts is that other than a normal devotion to God, nothing exceptional. We're not told that Cornelius and his family were, were super, um, uh, super spiritual. We're just told that they are devoted to the Lord. The good news is that other than this normal devotion and a desire to do God's will, the only criterion for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit onto all of Peter's listeners was precisely that, that they had heard his message. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So it's not the super holy ones who receive the Holy Spirit. It's not even the ones who had been baptized, because this is precisely what happens afterwards in the account to all who had received the Spirit in this way. But it's on all who heard the message. This, I think, is the thrust of both this passage from Acts and of our Gospel reading as well this morning. In John 15, uh, which is part of Jesus' long discourse to his disciples at the Last Supper, Um, Christ foreshadows his death on the cross uh, in his declaration, um, the famous declaration, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Christ, of course, uh, on the cross uh, only a few hours later was to lay down his life for each one of us. Each one of us who, like the disciples, um, have the opportunity, uh, as the passage tells us, not to be servants of God, of the Son of God, but as he declares to them then and to each one of us now, to be his friends. This extraordinary gift is available to all of us. And in the same way as we see in Cornelius's house, the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is also available to each and every one of us, regardless 
of who we may be in human terms. It's also really important, I think, uh, for us to notice the order in which events happen in this story in Cornelius' house. The members of the household first receive the Holy Spirit and then they are baptised. The presence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives uh, is not in some way limited only to those who are baptised Christians. The Gentile men and women of Cornelius' household are baptised by Peter after each one of them has received the Holy Spirit. It's precisely because they've been touched by God's grace in this way that it's right that they should formally be received through baptism into the church, into God's family, and not the other way around. If we perhaps sometimes uh, and somehow think that the presence of the Holy Spirit is confined to the church alone and not to the whole of God's creation, then we're placing uh, human preconceptions and preoccupations, preconditions on when and where our almighty, our all-powerful God chooses to give his blessing. As Jesus says in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus the Pharisee comes to see him in the dead of night, the wind blows wherever it pleases. The breath of the Holy Spirit blesses wherever God wills. We famously read, uh, of course, in Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, for those who accept the presence of God um, through him into their lives, are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's these fruits and gifts, above all, of love and of joy, of which Jesus speaks to his disciples in John 15. The love of God for the whole of creation, love deeper and wider, way beyond our imagining. The love that's made visible to us in the person of Jesus we see in the gospel accounts. This love is extended to each one of us to such an extent that we can know the Son of God the Son of God as our friend. And in doing so, his joy may live in us. In other parts of the Gospels, Jesus instructs his listeners to love their neighbours, to love their enemies. But here, his command to his disciples is that they love one another. And if Christ commands this to his disciples, the forerunners of his church, then his command to each one of us as members of his church is very particularly that we love one another too. Since it's through that love that we as followers of Christ show to each other in the community of believers that those um, who have not yet accepted Jesus into their life, that they see at first hand what Jesus' Jesus's love for them looks like in practice. 
Yes. How we extend Jesus' love to all is extraordinarily important as well. But if we can't show to one another in the family of the church what Jesus' love looks like so that those who are not within the church can see that, then why should those non-Christians find what we know really is the good news for them, not just for us, remotely attractive? So, I leave each one of you this morning with a challenge. If you're perhaps here with us today but wouldn't consider yourself to be a Christian, today's readings offer you, uh, I think, an amazing gift of hope, a hope of a life filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit and of all the gifts of the Spirit, of joy, of peace, of love, and so much more. All of those um, gifts of the Spirit, those fruits of the Spirit, listed in Galatians 5. My prayer for you is that you will ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and fill you with precisely those gifts. And if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, a member of our church family here at St. Giles, or perhaps uh, more regularly a member of another church, my challenge to you, I hope a gentle challenge, but also a direct challenge, and a challenge I address to myself as well, is to reflect on how you in the way that you live your life as part of this community. How you show the love of Christ to your fellow believers here and therefore to those looking in on us as the church. And how might you, seeking to follow Jesus more closely day by day, show his love for each one of us? even more in his holy name Amen Will you please stand as we say the creed together We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth.